Back in 2021, I did a representation and marketing study. The last question of the research was an open-ended question where I asked people, what do you wish more brands knew about representation and marketing? More than a thousand people responded. Here's one answer, and there were many that stood out to me. I'm a single older man, not married, no kids, love my pets with disposable income, but I'm rarely marketed to. There are lots of people who have disposable income and or who have the problem your brand solves. But because these people don't fit into what is considered to be quote unquote mainstream or quote unquote normal, they are often left out, ignored. So in many instances, as a result, they keep their money in their pockets. The brands who take the time to expand their view of who their customers are expand their view of who the people who have the problem their brand solves are the companies that are growing. We're continuing along with our growth series. And to illustrate this principle in action, today you're going to hear about how Evite, a company that touches over 100 million people in the U.S. each year, has embraced expanding the way they thought about who had the problem their brand solves, particularly as it relates to the parenthood journey and how that's allowed them to serve more people. You'll hear highlights from my chat with Karen Graham, Evite's Chief Marketing Officer, after this short break. Okay, I've got another podcast recommendation for you. It's Latinx in Power, hosted by Thaisa Fernandez. It's brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. This podcast features interviews with top-level executives, entrepreneurs, and innovators from Latin America, aiming to demystify the tech industry by providing listeners with insider perspectives and insight from Latin American leaders who have succeeded in their fields. I like listening to this podcast because I like hearing from a broad diversity of voices and hearing from and learning from their experiences. One episode I'm super excited to dive into is the latest one, Lead Generation Journey with Glenville Dixon Jr. Listen to Latinx Empower wherever you get your podcasts. So uh, my name is Karen Graham. I am the CMO with Evite. So I lead, you know, all the marketing sort of divisions across brands, CRM, growth, and I also lead the creative. So the development of the actual designs of the invitations and the cards and the merchandising aspect. And I love my job. It's super fun. Okay. In case you didn't know, Evite is the world's leading digital invitation platform. One of the categories of invitations they offer is for the parenthood journey. Recently, they expanded the types of invitations included in that category so they could serve more people. So, you know, as we started on this journey, I think what we heard from our users and just people that didn't fall within, you know, like you said, this traditional view of parenthood just felt like they weren't correctly being represented and, you know, ultimately that their stories weren't being heard, right? They weren't being seen. The World Health Organization recently showcased that one in six adults are affected by infertility. And I think, you know, I certainly know many people who have, you know, gone through different aspects of, you know, the process, right, of trying to have a child through infertility treatments. And I think, 
sometimes it's, you know, seen as a taboo topic or maybe like too personal that, you know, people don't want to talk about openly. But I think because of that, some of those, you know, folks that fall into this category feel like they're not seen. It can be very isolating, um, you know, very, they feel very alone in that. So we just wanted to support those that are struggling with their infertility and, you know, just acknowledge that while there are difficult aspects, there's also a lot of celebration that can happen along the way. Here's how Karen and her team came to the realization that they needed to expand who they thought about as their customers in this area. Yeah, so it's a great story. So we always monitor Evite mentions across media, across social. It's funny, even the team, if they see like, you know, a TV show with an Evite mention, we always like share that, right? We always keep a pulse on what are people saying about the brand? And uh, there's this incredible woman. She is a powerhouse of a writer, producer, you know, um, actress named Calais Stewart. And she also is this super impressive and inspirational infertility advocate. So she had been on the Sherry Shepherd show and talking about her, her own infertility journey and how she had thrown herself an egg shower. And she said that she was sort of expressing that there's no acknowledgement of this, right? In mass culture, there's no Evite that celebrates this. So then she had kind of tweeted at us and, you know, we were talking about it internally and we kind of, this light bulb went off and we said, why don't we have anything celebrating these, you know, non-traditional parenthood journeys? Like it's such a big part of, you know, what the world is today, yet there's no acknowledgement of that. And so that's really what got the ball rolling when we started to dig in, talk to more people. We had been connected with the National Infertility Organization through Calais and sort of it's really been a great education, which I think we've all been really grateful to have had. And we just more and more felt compelled to answer the call. So I think we just all got really excited about it. And then it sort of grew from, okay, let's learn about what Kelly's egg shower was all about and how she brought her sort of support network together and how that meant so much to her. And then it sort of expanded to, well, you know, there's also like adoption, right? And there should be a shower for that, right? And that can be a really long journey for people to be able to adopt a child, um, as well as IVF showers and rainbow baby showers, which is that one really tugs at the heartstrings. It's sort of celebrating a new child after the loss of a child, right? So sort of that grieving as well as the celebration and acknowledging that this had happened. So really just trying to cover all the bases and, you know, making sure that we were sort of speaking to these different categories in the right way across our communications and making sure that things were properly represented. Again, like using, you know, Calais and the National Infertility Org as the um, sort of checkpoints. And yeah, it's been great. People have been so, so positive. We've gotten such a great response. And I think people really do feel seen. As Karen mentioned, the response to the expanded parenthood journey has been really positive. But with doing anything new, there's always going to be a learning curve. You know, we, it has been overwhelmingly positive. Absolutely. And I think, you know, we've done a lot of, we've gotten a lot of great publicity around this, you know, just go, Kelly has been on podcasts. She's been on, you know, different shows outlining the journey and publicly and privately. Yeah. Overwhelmingly positive. I think we might've had like one piece of feedback that was sort of addressing that it was a difficult journey for, for this one particular user, which we fully acknowledge. And I think, you know, like so many things, whether it's, 
even like Mother's Day or, you know, Father's Day or so many things can be triggering for people. So I would say not totally surprised, right? But also I think it's just been truly so overwhelmingly positive. And I think, you know, whenever you're starting something new and like sort of making a foray into starting a new trend, addressing a new need in the market, there's always going to be you know, um, a learning, right? And maybe some feedback that is not always 100% positive. And we welcome that. We want to hear it and, you know, um, address it and, and try to be better. Karen talked about how as you're going through this process of expanding your thinking about who has a problem your brand solves, it's really taking the time to listen to what people are already saying and even engaging in conversations with them you'll get a better understanding of what a broader group of consumers need and want from you. What's so amazing about the world we live in today is that there is so much access to information and people are more than ever before able to share their perspectives, you know, create their own content. Um, There's all these social platforms out there. And that's something that we are always sort of leaning into and sort of listening to, right? And so I would say, you know, more and more, we just strive to be there and to understand like what's happening in the zeitgeist and sort of answer that call. And certainly like more traditional forms of communication, like if users are emailing in or tweeting at or whatever that may be, like we're, we're always listening for sure. And we'd love to see it sort of out in the wild, you know, in an organic manner, because I think that's really where you start to pick up on real trends. So yeah, it's always a journey, but we, we, I just want to reiterate, like Evite is here to, to sort of support all of our users, right. And put it all out there. We, we support all the different categories, like all the different holidays, right. We make sure that, that we have representation, you know, wherever, you know, we can. So, you know, when we think about our marketing, you know, our commercials and our ads, all of that, it's always a consideration. I want to make sure you caught that. Karen talks about how Evite is here to support all their users. So in terms of inclusive brand type, they are definitely an Oprah car giver. If you want to know what your inclusive brand type is, do take the quiz. I'll drop a link to it in the show notes so you can access that easily. So as I mentioned, Karen talks about how Evite is here to support all their users and the people they serve are diverse. So they don't want people to feel left out or left behind. Supporting such a diverse community and customer base also means having a representative team that is reflective of the people they serve. Karen says that representation is always a consideration at Evite. A thousand percent. Yes, that is something that we absolutely talk about internally, right? Who are our people? What is the makeup of our teams? As well as very much a consideration in all the marketing. So who are our influencer partners? Who do we feature in our ads? What are the different categories that we want to talk about, right, in our content? How do we make sure that we're representing every type of holiday, every type of celebration throughout the year? Because our, our business is completely based on seasonality, right? So it's a really fun thing to think about, you know, like might exist to bring people together in real life. We are the original online invitation service and company and platform. And, you know, we've been around for 25 years. So I can't, I think, and I think it's a really like, you know, exciting mission because I think during the pandemic, we all learned how important it is, right? To have, we're so inherently social creatures, to have community, to have family and social networks in real life, right? Not just digitally. 
And I think thinking about how to help facilitate that and to provide inspiration through our content is just not only really fun, but also like there's, I think it's really important. Evite is able to lean into thinking more inclusively and focus on serving the broad diversity of customers they have for one specific reason. Now you gotta believe when I heard Karen say this, I was doing somersaults on the inside because what she said is exactly what I talk to my clients about and teach in my programs. Inclusion needs to be a part of your brand's DNA. Here's Karen. You know, honestly, it's like part of our DNA. I will have to say that for sure. I mean, the scale of our platform is immense. So we touch over 100 million people in this country a year. And you see it obviously in the data as to like, what are people creating invitations for, right? Like we have a very clear picture of like how people are celebrating, which is very cool to see. And so we can see right away, like, do we need more invitations for Pride Month? You know, do we need more for Juneteenth? Like, do we need more for Diwali? Like, how are how is that up or down from the year prior? Like, what are, you know, what's trending on the up and up? What's maybe like sort of dwindling down as an, you know, a sort of moment where people gather. So it's great. Like, in a way, you do have like your own sort of finger on the pulse, right, of, of how people celebrate. And um, yeah, we just want to make sure that we have enough for everybody to feel like they have choice and to feel like we're delivering great designs and a great user experience. So here are some final thoughts from Karen on what you need to do if your brand wants to be more inclusive and grow by serving a broader group of people who have the problem your brand solves. Yeah, I just I just want to reiterate, it's, it's always so important as a brand to listen to your consumers, to your users, and acknowledge what they're saying and sort of assess what they're saying. And I'm just, you know, this is, it can be a sensitive topic. So I'm so proud that we took it on and that we're making a difference in this small way, you know, of people going through their journeys. Yeah, I think it's just don't be afraid to tackle it head on. I think definitely consult with the experts, um, talk to your users and and spark that conversation because I think that's where all the ideas come from, right, is to just talk to people and see their perspective And, you know, we always want to be that brand who can represent people's stories. So I think every brand should sort of be that support system for their users and their consumers. And that's how you build that lifelong relationship. Lifelong relationships, loyalty, belonging, all good things here and all great things brands should be aspiring to when thinking about the people you serve. Okay, so that was the brand perspective. But what about the consumer perspective? The only way you're going to get to a place where you're able to serve a broader group of customers, particularly those who don't fit into what's considered to be quote-unquote normal or quote-unquote mainstream, is to take the time to listen and learn about their stories, their experiences, their desires, and of course, their frustrations. And then, as I advise and have helped clients do, is to build your customer journeys that are specific to various identities not just the quote-unquote normal or quote-unquote mainstream ones, then you'll be in a better position to serve those customers well and make them feel like they belong with you. So continuing along with this example, we're going to dig into the voice of the customer and get a profile of finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. Like trying to remember the name of that guy you just met at a networking event. Was it Ron? Or could it be Don or John or Sean? 
Yeah, that kind of impossible. HubSpot's all new service hub can help. Well, with the service solution part, at least. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. With an AI-powered help desk and an AI chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs in a full 360 view of every customer so your go-to-market team can keep a pulse on accounts before trying to upsell or cross-sell. Also, you can scale support and drive retention and revenue. And you know what that means. Better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit HubSpot.com service to do more for your customers today. One specific journey right after this short break. Okay, so let's hear from the customer perspective, specifically from a consumer in the parenthood journey space who had a less traditional path to parenthood but still wanted to feel like she belonged. As you listen to her story, remember, you don't have to be in the parenthood or pregnancy space for this to be applicable. I just want you to hear this story so you can get an idea of the kind of profiles and journey and insights you need to capture to help you better empathize with and serve consumers who are not quite, quote unquote, traditional. Well, Mariam Shahab, she, her pronouns, who am I? Big question. Uh, Identity-based, I am a 30-something, we'll leave it at that, millennial. I am a new mom. My son is almost two, a year and a half. Um, I am a South Asian American woman, Pakistani specifically. I'm Muslim. I grew up most of my life in Texas, currently live in Austin, Texas. So I've had what I think is a pretty unique parenthood journey. Um, I am a proud mom through gestational surrogacy. So what that means is I didn't carry my child. I wasn't able to. And we, my husband and I, chose to freeze our eggs and sperm, created embryos through IVF, which is becoming more commonplace terminology. And oftentimes people create embryos and are able to then um, carry their own children. But that's not always the case, depending on different health issues or um, depending on if you need egg donors or sperm donors, that kind of a thing. But particularly for me and my husband, we decided to pursue our path to parenthood through gestational surrogacy, which means working to find and match with a woman who is willing to be a surrogate and carry our embryo and carry our child through birth. And it was just not an experience I necessarily signed up for in the sense that I was my first choice. Uh, Of course, I did want to be able to carry my own child and we found out um, about a month before lockdown, uh, COVID lockdown back in 2020, I guess that was, right, that I was not able to carry a child. And it was a very difficult time for us. And our fertility clinic shared with us information about surrogacy agencies. And what a surrogacy agency is, is they actually help intended parents, that's what we're called before we're actually parents, to a child. They manage intended parents and surrogates and match them. I never did the dating apps thing, but it's kind of like dating apps where there's this um, third party that is asking you a bunch of interview questions and uh, trying to match make service you and an intended parent with a surrogate that matches both their physical as well as emotional needs through a parenthood journey. So what was amazing for us is we actually matched with our surrogate about a month after applying. So filling out this long questionnaire that 
was very invasive and very personal. And that's not common back then or even today in terms of being able to find a surrogate that you match with. It can take months, a year. Um, and a lot about a lot of it, the matching process is based on values alignment. Um, it's based on some tough questions in terms of what to do in medical scenarios that everyone hopes don't happen, but they could happen in a pregnancy, as well as what you want that relationship to look like during the nine months of pregnancy and the many months before it too. There's a psychological screening for the intended parents as well as the surrogate. There's, I think it was like 90 pages, maybe 70, 78 pages coming to my mind, 78 page long contract and working with lawyers, family law and all of that, it goes into this relationship that is more than transactional with a surrogate and, and truly finding your, your match who's going to help carry your child. Uh, my son was born September 30th, 2021. So uh, that was the magical day that I officially became a parent. I was riveted by Miriam's story, and I wanted to learn more about if she felt like she belonged during the surrogacy process, specifically as it relates to brands? Great question, because it's an awkward time when you tell people you're expecting a child, but your belly doesn't show that. And, you know, weirdly enough, this, like I said, was during the COVID days and the lockdown days. So um, a lot of my work was, you know, (laughs) like this video chat where you couldn't see. um, And I actually didn't tell my then coworkers until I think maybe the 20 week mark, the, you know, oftentimes for individuals who are carrying that is like a, a viability mark in terms of um, a baby who's gestation, who's gestational. And um, it was from an inclusion and a belonging perspective, the brands that are targeting you or I'm proactively looking up for baby registries, for example, are not inclusive when it comes to being a parent, not carrying the child, whether that's in a heterosexual relationship, dads or LGBTQ plus individuals oftentimes do pursue surrogacy as well. It there's just not enough opportunities to say I'm not carrying my child, but I still need all of these things. Some um, individuals who do surrogacy do create opportunities to do breastfeeding. I did not, and there's other options out there that you know I had the app. There's these apps that many um, pregnant individuals will have that showcase like what size is your baby in terms of fruit and things like that. They give you advice. There's, you know, a popular one is like what to expect when expecting and they have their own app. And it's as simple as if they had asked me, am I the app user, the individual who's carrying or not? Because the language was a lot of your body is going through the following things. Your baby is the size of a watermelon, is the size of insert fruit here. But it always, it was always a little ting to me where, no, it's not my body. But yes, my baby is the size of insert fruit here, but being carried by um, another individual. And these were the moments that kept coming up where I felt like it would be so simple, just a word choice that would make me feel more included. And, you know, same thing in terms of the postpartum experience too. There's so much out there for targeting individuals who've given birth um, because they have a new baby. But just because I have a new baby doesn't mean that I need the same postpartum product, if you will, that a person who birthed did. And so 
along this journey, there's also the the items of the celebration, right? There's traditional things like baby showers. There's traditional things like maternity photo shoots and baby announcements on social media and and things like that. And I wanted that. I'd been trying for a child for a while and it was something I'd attended plenty of baby showers for friends, thrown them. And I was excited that I was on my journey to parenthood and wanted to be celebrated and celebrate this milestone too. The thing that I created for myself that I don't think is commonplace enough is I actually did a, a maternity photo shoot with my surrogate. And I my surrogate lived in Oklahoma. I lived in Austin, Texas. And we were traveling often to Oklahoma to be there for appointments with the OBGYN, um, getting to be at the ultrasounds, that kind of a thing. And my surrogate and I had built quite a good relationship. And I asked her if she would be interested in doing a surrogacy maternity photo shoot. I'd gotten to the depths of the internet. People do it. It's just not that common yet. Found a lot of inspiration images. Found a photographer in Oklahoma who had never done it, had never heard of surrogacy. I educated the photographer along the way and shared with the photographer some inspirational imagery and and really why this was a milestone that was important to me to capture on photo as a memory to print out. And we were able to capture just with our surrogate, with her spouse and her children as well were included in the photo shoot with me and my husband. And it was a memory that I wanted to create. And that's another thing where there's all these moments that are traditional pregnancy moments or traditional expecting a baby moments that brands really can do something about. It's as simple as taking the same thing, but turning it on its head and trying a little hard to be inclusive in your photography and how you're showing what does a birth announcement look like? What does a baby shower announcement look like? And things like that. Such an eye-opening sort of experience that I think that this one is very specific to the parenthood journey. But as we, if we zoom out a little bit, as we're thinking about inclusive marketing overall, it's helpful to just take a step back and identify from your customer standpoint, what are the different ways that people can arrive at the place where you're helping them, right? And so don't just default to the one that quote unquote may or may not seem the most common, but just like really take the time to figure out what are the different ways that people get here? How do they feel about it? How do they want to feel about it, right? And then just kind of build various journeys because there's more than one in most instances. Yes, I I agree. And I think the other piece that Going back to some of what we previously talked about is not just society or not just like how I personally felt included, but also how media portrays surrogacy is unfortunately really inaccurate too. You know, when you think about movies and TV shows that show surrogacy, it oftentimes shows comedic things that aren't necessarily true. It also showcases how surrogates may be treated in poor manners by intended parents. There's something out on Netflix right now um, that's similar to that. That's just unfortunately affects how other consumers and perhaps brands and marketers also choose to include or not to include this type of parenthood too. And I think part of it is celebrities also dominate the culture when it comes to surrogacy. And that's why it was so important to me during my surrogacy journey, as well as my parenthood journey now is it's not just the celebrities. Um, And 
Absolutely. It is a financial commitment and a privilege to be able to have a child through surrogacy and celebrities do have those privileges, but it's not just them. And, uh, you know, Chrissy Teigen just came out with an, her um, surrogacy announcement and it was probably one of the better ones that I've seen acknowledging how and why she chose this parenthood path as well as what her relationship was like with her surrogate. What recommendations would you have for brands as it relates to parenthood journeys? Yeah, I think this is one where as I continue to be on the other side of this, I want to continue to advocate for brands to think about as you're talking about inclusive parenthood journeys, how people become parents, whether it is through surrogacy, through adoption, through fostering, um, or natural, naturally conceiving, whether intentional or not intentional. There's so many different ways people become parents. And there's a lot of money to be made for parents. Like parents spend a lot of money on their children as well as during the perhaps pregnancy process. And that's where businesses can be so much smarter on taking these traditional milestones. It could be you know, the idea of the baby shower or the announcement that you make to your friends about freezing your eggs. That's, you know, step one before anything else happens. And more and more women are considering that as part of their parenthood journey is uh, freezing their eggs at earlier ages as they're pushing parenthood to later on in their life for multiple reasons, health or not related. So how can brands support those individuals at every milestone, whether it's choosing to freeze your eggs or in the IVF community and fertility community, there's something called the two-week wait. It's after an embryo transfer, and you want to find out if the embryo stuck. Um, if it's, it's not necessarily a viable pregnancy yet, but if, if the, the transfer actually worked. And one of the things they tell the, the person who's carrying is to relax. So is there ways to create opportunities for brands, whether it's vacation or hotel brands for individuals who are in the fertility two-week wait? Um, you know, it's the come do a staycation here. Or if it's, you know, same thing, I think in the hospitality industry and, you know, baby moons was another thing for me. I ended up having the opportunity to go on a baby moon with my husband, but we went to Mexico and there was uh, where we were staying, there was a language barrier. And it would be hard for me to explain that we were on a baby moon when my stomach very much did not show that. But could hotels encourage baby moons of all kinds, right? It's just this, it's just a celebration with my husband as a last opportunity to go on vacation, just the two of us. But I do think that that industry specifically has a lot that they could do. And um, then the same thing, the, the pregnancy industry, I suppose, and the products and the apps and things like that. I think there's opportunities for the celebration milestones to be more inclusive when it comes to announcing as well as when it comes to celebrating. Yeah. So I think what I want people to take from this is that first there's this mindset shift about really thinking about people who don't quote unquote fit into what's considered to be mainstream and understanding that they have the same wants, needs, and desires as everyone else. And how can we not sort of ignore them, forget about them, punish them, whatever, right? Because sometimes it all feels like that for something that they didn't necessarily choose. If they had an option to choose something different, they would. Or even if it is their choice, but, but it's just different from like what's normal. How can we 
make them not feel forgotten? How can we make sure that they feel seen as they're going through that journey? And when you do that, it opens you up, like you said, to a lot of different ways that you can make them feel like they belong or solve specific needs for them, which can also translate into increased sales, not just for the fact of they're coming to you and it's more people in your in your ecosystem, but also in that you can continue to sell more very specific products, services, and experiences for them for that specific purpose. Absolutely. You totally recapped it perfectly, Sonia. And you know, one more experience on the baby registry, right? Some people do it online. Some people do it in stores. Now, babies are us, right? Uh, Bye-bye baby. Bye-bye baby is closing. Um, But back, you know, bye-bye baby, like when I was registering as a mainstream um, place to go buy baby products Mm -hmm. and do your baby registry. And that's another one. It's like, where are people doing registries and how do we train staff, in-store staff, or even online support to be inclusive of these different parenthood journeys, right? So I was nervous to go into buy my baby and work with a registry consultant and have them ask, who are we, reg- who's, who's expecting, right? And is it you, is it your sister, is your, like, who is it? And, um, you know, if they simply had an option on like the little form I fill out, like, when are you due? When is baby coming? That kind of a thing. It would have made me feel more included. Yeah. And it goes to just show that I have to think about this. How do you pull this through throughout the entire customer experience, right? Not just in one or two things, right? Because each touch point is an opportunity to make somebody feel seen or not. Delivering inclusive experiences that make more people feel like they belong with you is a process. But when done right and done over time, it not only leads to more people feeling like they belong with you, but it also leads to more growth for your brand. So I want to encourage you to do three things. First up is listen to the people who have the problem your brand solves. This is an ongoing thing that you should do all the time. Second, take note of the identities you don't currently have represented in your profiles of who your ideal customers are and make a decision about whether or not you'll, using Karen's words, answer the call to serve any of those identities. And the third thing that I want you to do is for the identities you've chosen to serve moving forward, take the time to speak more in depth with people within the community so you can learn more about their plight, their needs, and their journey. And if you need any help along the way, do reach out and let's talk about how I can support you in these efforts. I've got offerings available that are designed to do just that. That's it for today's episode. If you like this show, I'd love it if you'd share it with a friend colleague and or your network. And if you're having this conversation on social, please do tag me. I'd love to join the chat. Another way you can support the show is to leave a rating and review for it in your podcast player of choice. It really does go a long way toward helping more people discover the show. And I'd like to think it goes a long way towards helping more people be inclusive. Are you getting the inclusion and marketing newsletter? If not, what are you doing? Go get signed up. Each week I send stories, news, and more insights into how to build an inclusive brand that grows by making more people feel like they belong with you. Go to inclusionandmarketing.com newsletter to get signed up. I'll also drop a link to it in the show notes so you can access it easily. I'll also include a link to that representation and marketing study I mentioned at the beginning of the show in case you're interested in those results. Until next time, remember... Everyone deserves to have a place where they belong. 
Let's use our individual and collective power to ensure more people feel like they do. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you soon.